We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, boy, am I glad that we won that game. I was as in my angry lizard brain as I have been all year last year. I think I half of what I texted to you were curse words, and uh, but we pulled it out. And part of that, that uh, frustration was because... I thought like watching the two teams as they were both competing, the Lakers look clearly better than them. So it's sort of the frustrations rooted in this like, hey, you guys can be really good. And in the second half of the pod, I want to geek out with you about Rui Hachimura a little bit more after we've seen him for a few games. But let's start first on another crazy game, D, but we pulled it out. Russ had a huge OT. We had some frustrating moments along the way in the fourth quarter. Dennis Schroeder hit the most unenthusiastic buzzer beater I think I've ever seen. And uh, but the end result got a, a much needed win in a game that I think we really needed to win in the standing. So what was your takeaway from a night at Madison Square Garden? 100 percent a much needed win. And if they would have lost that game, I think we all would have rioted Man. in our own Man. ways. I was not super thrilled about just a general flow of the game like late. Mm-hmm. I did think. Mike, and I'd love to get your perspective on this. I heard some of Russ's comments and Russ, who was huge in overtime, he noted that he felt like the Lakers had control of the game. And like, that was my sense too. Mm -hmm. And that was how they played as well. And so there's a certain amount of urgency that the Lakers will need to have on a night-to-night basis. I thought they had it for some stretches of this game against the Knicks and in other stretches, I thought that they didn't. Um, The Knicks play hard and they play, Mm -hmm. I don't want to necessarily say a together brand of basketball, but they definitely have an identity about how they're going to play. And the Lakers have typically played a very similar style in terms of playing hard and getting after it and never giving up. And and so in one regard, I felt like, well, the Knicks are in some ways out competing the Lakers, but as Pete said, the Lakers look like the better basketball team. 
I don't want to go too far into the pod before I mention the fact that Patrick Beverly didn't play, and that's a double-edged sword in its own right. Bev is one of those guys who does compete hard. He does get after it. He does carry himself a certain way, and I do think that that can inspire a team. The flip side of that is is that the Lakers had a new starting lineup, and that starting lineup was massive. It was just a huge group mm-hmm. of men out there like oh weird our two we're guard bigger. got 17 rebounds the other night yeah like it's well, a big group well the knicks are a big team too like rj barrett is like a big dude for like yeah. a wing and mm-hmm. and and then randall is starting at power forward when in theory he's probably a small ball center but he's he's a big strong dude as well and then sims and then they came in with hartenstein and then they just had guys even philosophically with Tibbs, right? Like he coaches that style. So the personnel like match his style. So they are one of the bigger teams in the league. So Mike, part of being, I thought part of what came with being big and bigger is that certain things came easier to them and certain things worked better for them that maybe don't on any given night. And over the course of the game, I thought that they felt more and more comfortable with the fact that, hey, all we got to do is do X and we're going to win. And combine that mm-hmm. with the second night of a back-to-back for everyone, except for LeBron and and AD. And I thought that there was a, just a certain amount of like, we have this much to give and we're going to give it. And it worked out in their favor. But over the course of the game, I was just like, oh, they better not give this one away. And so I'm very happy that it worked out the way that it did. There was, I think, a more clear understanding of what type of basketball team that they could be with the rotation in this game. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the supporting players played those roles really well. And Pete mentioned Rui Hachimura, who was eight for 12 for 19 points. He had nine boards. He had that key block. He's getting up and down in transition and getting kind of some of those hit-ahead passes from LeBron. Mm -hmm. Um, You had Troy Brown continue to play well. Max Christie comes in, hits two threes, including a really tough one off of a grenade uh, from Russ. And he does get caught into some of the Brunson grift and to some of what the the Knicks were doing on offense with a couple of fouls. Uh, But overall, still, I thought was a positive. And uh, Thomas Bryant has a really rough first half defensively, but comes in and, and gets a couple buckets to go. And to free throws in the second half. So uh, shooter hits a couple of key shots. Like they they have guys playing hard and playing roles pretty well. LeBron, to to me, this was one of those games where you know he was a little bit out of rhythm from having not played in the previous game, mm-hmm. and I, I think he is a little bit sore um, with his. He was having his right foot and his left foot worked on right after the game in front of the media in the locker room, and so I think there's a little bit of that there. And the biggest thing was just AD did not have as much pop um, in in terms of just explosiveness and the way that he was moving and running. And I think some of that is to be expected as well, um, where he wasn't in his full rhythm. He wasn't in his full, but he was still out there being Anthony Davis. And, you know, as I say, all this was what he ended up finishing for a while. He was like a plus 18 or 19. Right. Um, I was and 27 and nine, Mike, he shot over 50 percent from the field like he had a key defensive stop at the end. Like, oh, look, Anthony Davis. Amazing. I, and I texted you guys like <laughs> multiple times. I'm like, it is killing me tonight. And I'm like looking at the box score and I'm like, no, I know. And I'm like, <laughs> you're right. And that's because he's really, really, really good. By the same token, you know, defensively, especially he hasn't blocked a shot in a couple of games. I thought that I just I, I was tired of watching Knicks in the paint scoring over the top of him. And when AD is locked in, you know, and, and physically feeling yeah. OK. But this is this isn't the first time we've seen this, though, Mike, in terms of when he 
comes back, it's not like you, you were sort of surprised when we saw what we saw against San Antonio, that he was as close as he was. But this type of guy has been more the guy we've seen in the first few games of him coming back from injury. Yeah, I mean, the shot blocking is, I guess, the easiest way to tell because in in San Antonio, he blocks four shots and is blocking them in the way that very few guys can. And then Mm -hmm. these last two games, he's just not looking to do that as much. Or and and that to me again is the difference of sort of the pop in the legs and and or whatever it was. But he's not saying that he's having any soreness in the foot or anything. So then maybe it's just a game conditioning type thing because he also wasn't running the floor um, particularly hard as he can at times. And that's what stood out about Hachimura doing that a little bit more. It's instead of LeBron hitting AD on those streaking plays, he was hitting Hachimura, but you know, they, the, the guy that I have, I have at times been, you know, I don't, I don't want to say hard on, but I've certainly mentioned a lot of various Russell Westbrook situations. And he was great in the overtime. He, the, he had a lot of moments of, of similar frustration in the regular in regulation. And then he w- was just setting up AD for two super easy buckets. He got the initial over-the-top pass to LeBron, which I think was drawn up, um, but nonetheless was really well mm-hmm. executed. And he even made a shot uh, that, you know, not not one of those that's um, that looks all the greatest going up, but I think he banked one in. So, you know, he gets credit. And the Lakers have been struggling so much in crunch time that to get that from Russ was a, a big deal um, when LeBron and AD weren't at their absolute peak. Uh, for an evening. So, you know, they, it's a win that was very much sorely needed in terms of standings watching. And that's something we talked about at Darius on yesterday's pod, me and Pete. So all in all, uh, they get the job done and now they've got a chance to go to Indiana and new Orleans to play against a couple of struggling teams. Although something about new Orleans has me thinking that they'll, they'll look just fine um, in their game. Once the Lakers come in relative, and they've to been playing ball. better. Like I watched some of the, the game against Denver last night. Like they're, Remember when the Wizards were struggling and we played them and they'd lost like 10 in a row, but they played us. And I was like, they actually played pretty well in that game. I think the Pelicans are starting to kind of pull out of the dip that they're in, but we'll see. Also, too, just on a quick Pelicans note, B.I. had been hurt and then he came back and he had missed a lot of time with a toe issue. And I was listening to some podcasts, too, where it's just like the commentary around him was he was coming back, but he wasn't pain free. And so we had talked about A.D., coming back and how AD operates best when he comes back and he is pain-free because he's not thinking about anything. But Ingram apparently was coming back and while he was recovered and he was ready to go and he was cleared, it's not like, oh, I'm 100%. And I think the idea was like, well, at this point in the season, no one is 100%. And it's just like, if he's Mm -hmm. gotta manage some pain and we were just talking about this with LeBron, well, you manage some pain, like your team is losing and you went from second in the standings or third in the standings to now you're like ninth. So if you could play, it's probably time to, it's probably time to get out there in pivoting back to the Lakers, Pete. I do want to zero in some on the general nature and shape of the team, because Mike brought mm-hmm. this up. And I think this will transition well to Rui in the second half of the pod. But I was intrigued by the starting lineup choice that was made. Mm-hmm. And I can understand starting Rui. But normally what the Lakers have done is Troy Brown has not had a lot of games where he started at shooting guard. In fact, that might have been 
the very yep. first game of the season where he started in that specific position. When he started, it's typically been at small forward or a power forward, right? And there was a there was a case to be made potentially for Lonnie to come back into the starting lineup. I That's saw Mike's pre be. Yeah, I saw mm-hmm. Mike's pregame hit and he was laughing with uh the studio folks and there was a lot of conversation about like, oh well, Darwin was being coy about who was going to start and my mind went to, well, if Bev's not going to start, I bet Lonnie is going to be back in the lineup, right? He's basically started almost every game that, that he's played. So I was pleasantly surprised that they went to Troy. And to me, that opens up a lot of options for the team if they view him as a potential like guard, right? And someone who can defend at that position. And so what was your overall perspective like? on the starting lineup, how it looked, and everything else. I loved that starting lineup, and I think it's exactly conceptually the direction we should be going in. Troy defensively, first off, Troy has been amazing the last couple of games. Just his effort level, his he had a couple of near steals that he missed that turned into threes that he was like really mad that it was just, you know, by a fingernail, but he's playing really hard every single possession, and I think is I don't know. There's just an assertiveness to his game right now that I love that I hope he can hold on to. And uh, I always go back. It's funny how this just kind of stuck in my mind was when we did the intro press conferences and Mike was asking guys about kind of how they see themselves defensively. And Troy his first comment being, I like to guard down. And that stood up, to, stood out to me because a lot of guys, it's, I don't know, sort of a macho, like, I, I like to guard up. I'll take, I don't care who I can, you know, I don't care how big you are. Russell Westbrook has been amazing at this this year. He got another three, forced another three turnovers as a post defender on Julius Randle in this last game. Like yep. he's gotten a lot of big wins against like all-star caliber players at this spot. Anyway, we'll shelve that and talk that, talk about that a bit later. But the, uh, but Troy, like, Troy having a proclivity for that. And then Rui at the three spot, all of a sudden you're very tall and there's a lot of length. How many possessions in that first, you know, six, seven minutes of that game when the starters played, was it one and out? The Knicks got one shot up against somebody with a long arm relative to their position. And then three dudes helped on the boards. Like Rui is so helpful on the boards at the three spot. Like I actually think that this is it. I think there's an argument to be made that we need a starting shooting guard, basically like a better version of Troy Brown to start. And then Troy would be his backup. I think that that's probably the best version of the team. But I felt like we need a look that can play slowly and effectively. And we just don't have a lot of lineups that can do that. I think on both ends of the floor, this lineup can do that in a way that just gives up, gives us more of that secondary pitch. Well, yeah, to me, it's become sort of obvious about the guys who should be playing. And it's just a question though, of when you get the full on rotation back. And so not only is Lonnie back, but Austin, and then if Beverly gets healthy, then you're going to have some people that are used to playing that aren't anymore. Because I and to me, there are a couple of guys that it can't be that it was before. And, and one of those guys is Troy Brown. Uh, and I we talked about it before the season even started, Pete, before we just in terms of what he could be, what he did in Washington, what he did in Chicago, the role that they limit him into the the skill set that he has, the fact that he was only 23. You know, he represent the size he has. He represented some real upside that some other parts of the roster did not. And I think that he is now, when given more minutes, he played 34 against the Knicks. And 
essentially Darwin in the overtime put Schroeder in for him. Whereas when they had started with an even larger, they're sorry, they had closed regulation with their absolute largest lineup, which was mm-hmm. Russ at point guard, uh, basically, mm-hmm. then Troy, then Rui, uh, LeBron, and AD. And so f- when, when I'm, this kind of gets back now to Beverly. And if Beverly is available, he's been the one that has been starting. And then it, at times that had pushed Troy Brown Jr. to the three, even though Bev was sometimes guarding up and sometimes taking the three. But to me, he should stay there in that starting two guard spot. Mm-hmm. Rui, I like in that three guard spot. And then off the bench, Austin's going to come in. And so Beverly would then to me become more of a, a kind of specific need a type of a, of a player where there's a certain matchup on the other team that he's used to guarding and giving a hard time to. And, uh, but I, I know that might be difficult uh, just based on how the season has gone. And that though, to me is, is I just think that their team is, it's better off overall to have what Troy can do given what the rest of the starting lineup is um, than, than Beverly and this team now it, well, here, let me, I'll just leave that there because that alone is, is its own thought and, and let you guys react to that. Let's go to break here. Let's continue this conversation. Rui will come up, but maybe the zeroing in on Rui will have to wait because this is a really important conversation, I think. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, Rui's a part of this conversation, Pete, because Rui needs to start, right? Yeah. And and so we'll get Why? to Rui Why? in this. Why? Because this past game was the perfect example of why I wanted a combo forward that could slot between LeBron James and Anthony I was thinking Davis. about it's you like the, the whole time. Ar- it's like the <laughs> argument I've been making for two seasons. You manifested Rui Hachimura on this team, Darius, I'm convinced. Well, it's just this idea of before the game I texted you guys – when the starting lineup got revealed, I said, who do you think guards who? And I said, I have a feeling they're going to put Rui on Randall. And I could totally see LeBron taking the Barrett matchup. Now, that mm-hmm. actually, that's counterintuitive in a weird way because Barrett's the wing. He's the more like rangy player. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who they're going to run off more screens. He's... Like he scores 20 points a game as well. It's not like he's a slouch offensively, but that guy is actually the lower usage player. Yep. And so even though it's the less natural defensive matchup for LeBron, because LeBron's a tank and Julius Randle's a tank and you probably want the strong dude. It's just like that level of 
go out there and guard the other team's leading score like that shouldn't be LeBron's job at this point. Now, and if they played some slouch at center who wasn't a lob threat and they weren't going to run a bunch of pick and rolls with, then maybe LeBron would guard that guy. But the Mm -hmm. idea of having that combo forward is like LeBron can guard any one of the three front court players, whoever is the best matchup for him that allows him to do like the least, I should say. Like Julius Randle is exhausting to guard. He's huge and he's got handles and he's going to try to beat you up. And he, yeah, he's just strong and fast and he's going to take a lot of shots. And it's like the level of, of physical and mental engagement you have to have when defending exactly. him is super high. And yep. so I was just like, oh, look, they've got a 6'8", 240-pound dude that they can put on Julius Randle. Like, fantastic. So and so <laughs> in getting back to Troy Brown for a second, Rui's got to start. So you're like, to me, it's like, yeah, you could put Bev back, I guess, but I'd rather have the size. Like, give me the size. And I will say this up front, maybe it's bias, maybe it's just whatever it is. Like, Bev is one of those guys who I love the competitive fire. I also think that that fire too often dipped its toe into the sort of harmful, like I'm running my mouth too much or I'm picking up a technical where I don't need to pick up a technical. Like I'm I'm arguing in ways where I'm disadvantaging my team in certain ways. And like, there's a line that you have to walk as a player, any give, given game. Russ is actually one of those players that I, Russ has a very interesting relationship with the referees because he yells at them a lot, but he's also one of those guys who goes up to them and talks to them like Mm -hmm. very calmly a lot as well. And you can tell that when he is berating them, they're sort of just like, well, I've had a relationship with you that has mostly been positive for like Mm -hmm. as long as you've been in the league. Like I'm going to take some of this and because we'll be cordial about things later. Bev is not like that. And so, like, like, I didn't want to bring this up within the context of the Boston game before because the Lakers got hosed in the Boston game. And LeBron talked about that after about how the players decided this game against the Knicks and the players did not decide the game Mm. against the Celtics. But the Lakers started the overtime period actually down one because Boston got a free throw to start. Because Bev went out on the court with a camera and decided he, which was hilarious in its own right, but that was actively harmful against the team. And so, like, there are things where it's just like, I love the juice that Bev could provide. I also think that there's, there's levels to it all and the Lakers need to find their right path. Well, and let me direct this over to Pete, though, and that's, that's kind of what I was getting at by saying that there are some things that Beverly does that can be really helpful at times. And it's not just all of the things that you were talking about, Darius, with the energy and with the, just the, that massive chip on the shoulder that sometimes plays out to the referee, sometimes plays out to the opponent, but I'm talking about the basketball too. And like, sometimes his defensive matchup, it is one that I want to see. And sometimes it's not. And, and therefore that to me is not a starter or, or or at least ideally isn't a starter at this stage when you have other options that are, you know, with Troy Brown, he's always going to rebound. He's always going to shoot uh, from the corners. He's always going to be low usage. He can guard up some. He can guard down some. You know, he's just more of like a of a of, of a solid complement 
um, to what else is going on. And Beverly sometimes can be like the person who is having the most impact on the game uh, for certain stretches. But at other times, he can struggle. Uh, and also, it's not a good match next to Schroeder. Um, it, it just That's in it. terms of having both those guys out on the court together and another team having having two players that they can either uh, that they can either just shoot right over the top of yep. or be more physical than or grab a rebound over the top of. And that difference to me um, is worth whatever you know type of mental difficulty it might be to having uh, adjusting the role to a very proud and understandably so, you know, guy in Patrick Beverly who has truly worked his way up to this career. Um, from you know, from not the easiest spot, but I I just think that's the that's kind of the elephant in the room as you move yep. forward here. He already handled the one with Russ in terms of coming off the bench, and now sometimes he doesn't finish games, sometimes he does. But th- this the Beverly situation to me is the next one. I think on some levels it's actually very simple in that he's been miscast for the vast majority of the season, and so that's sort of like dog physical defender he's still got that but there's just a certain point a threshold where the guy gets too big or too strong or is you know just has too much of an advantage over him where it's funny we uh we shot some footage before the season uh about i wanted to do a video on pat bev how to guard somebody bigger than you i've mentioned it a couple of times on the pod but this is the concept of it we got a little bit of footage of it and i still haven't made it yet and part of the reason for that is that's been one of my least favorite parts of watching this team this year, right? Is like how often Patrick Beverly has to, and he's game like, trust me, I really get this, this like, I'm going to fight you till my last breath, right? But he's like 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, and the biggest, if you want Pat Bev to be the physical defender, he needs to be guarding the point guard position. We actually already have a pretty good point guard in Dennis Schroeder that's a better two-way player than Bev is at this point and is good at the same thing that Bev is good at in with respect to ball pressure. I think actually at this point, Dennis is a little better at it than Bev is. And so you don't need to have these two short guys next to each other on the court at the same time. And so to me, if Bev were asked to do what he's more capable of, then he – I think – I, I think things would have gone better with him so far. Uh, but as we kind of twist into this bigger team of which I think Troy Brown starting at the two and Rui at the three is a big part of that. Like if, if Bev is on the team going forward to me, he like the, the whole him guarding wings and players that are four or five inches taller than him. Like it, we, we, it's not sustainable going forward. And it's been part of one of the worst things about the team. You know, we've played too small too often. Yeah, it shouldn't be a part of the plan anymore. Right. Like the player who was missing, and maybe there's still one player missing. Like I still love a two-way shooting guard with some yes. size who could like hit some shots. Uh, and hey, Darius, welcome to the NBA. Everybody wants that. And so, right, like, hey, give me Clay Thompson. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's the he's like one of the best versions of that. But yeah. there are guys that fit this description. There are guys. I'm like, I'm just making the point that it's just like guys like that. They're expensive in terms of yearly salary. They're expensive to acquire in a trade. They are hard to get. And so if you're not going to get one of those guys, I'd love to try to approximate that. And the Lakers have not been approximating that because their roster necessarily hasn't allowed them to. The guy who best fits that description on this roster is Troy Brown. And it's one of the reasons why we're lobbying for for him now. And and I am as, as well. It's funny because before the season, we were 
I don't want to say I was high on Troy Brown. I was intrigued by by Brown. Brown hadn't done much in uh, in his career to be high on, right? He was a lottery flameout who had basically been on two teams already and been traded, mm-hmm. right? And and so and he's on the Lakers for the minimum. And this was in contrast to Lonnie Walker, where I was I was down, yeah, on Lonnie before the season started, and that paradigm shifted like within a handful of games to start the season and through the preseason informed this this as well, where Lonnie was playing hard on defense, he was making shots, and 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 he was showing that he could be a three and D, and I'm using quotes here, a three and D sort sort of player. He adjusted his shot diet where he was no longer taking shots off the dribble and he evolved into a player where it's just like hey look at Lonnie and getting downhill a little bit and doing some some well, well some things and then Lonnie missed 15 games and even before he missed those those games Mike he was starting to regress in the level of effort he was giving defensively and his impact on the game beyond scoring was going down more and more and more. And maybe that was because he wasn't playing with Anthony Davis as much. Maybe it was just because the season's long and you have ups ups and downs. But it's like the tortoise versus the hare, right? And Lonnie was the hare. And he had got out to the fast start. And Troy, to me, has made up a lot of ground over the course of the season by basically just being the slow and steady guy. And maybe that comes back to Pete's points about like they need a slow version of this team as well. And Troy kind of fits into that idea a little bit more. And so I don't like we talked a lot about Bev within the context of this, but it's just like Lonnie's another guy. Austin's going to come back and Austin's going to need to play. The team still has a lot of guards and a lot of them expect to play. And we can talk about Bev being a specialist, but Lonnie is a bit of a specialist in his own right. He's a specialist on the other side of the ball from where Pat Pat Bev is. And so I think that that's another part of this discussion that the coaches are going to need to explore about who does what best and what the right matchups are for what type of, of player and what skill sets are offered by those players. So let's though, Pete, let's go ahead and take the time. Give me some Hachimura action. I mean, because I don't disagree with anything with that with Darius, but like he's he's the new guy. I'm already sort of willing to to say that it was a good trade, which we thought at the time before we even saw him play just from watching him play. But, you know, so I think that the front office gets credit for that. But I'm curious where you want to start with Hachimura. Yeah. So he he has me a little bit off balance. I, I don't want to speak as though I feel, you know, very convicted on a, a number of points, but I do have. There have been a couple of things that have popped up that really, you know, I've said for a minute that the guy that we've missed most has been Kuz in terms of the type of player. And there's a lot of overlap. It just like watching Rui run a lane in transition. And when we talked, Mike, about the sustainability of being able to play well in transition while having low usage, uh, low impact minutes on LeBron, right? Like we don't want to run LeBron and AD to death. Like a guy like Rui really represents that, especially, especially in the context of being alongside LeBron and AD at the same time is that if AD is going to be back in our center field drop coverages, he's going to be back by the rim. You're not going to have those close out to a three point shooter and keep running. Oh crap. That's Anthony Davis. But Rui Hachimura at six, eight, 
240 with coordination and athleticism out in space, a lot of times the guys that have that back responsibility are a guard. And so we've just seen a few plays like that where it's like, yeah, that guy is going to have problems with Rui in space. That's just how it is. But we just haven't had that. And so it's funny, these last two seasons uh, talking about lineups, remember how I screeched about DeAndre Jordan, right? Starting at the beginning of last season. And a big part of that was I thought that that team needed to be high octane in, in in space and just have this, you know, every if you lined up all of your players, whoever the fastest guys were, those are the guys that should play. And basically, DeAndre Jordan was the exact opposite of the guy that we should have. And we I feel like we also had the same thing this year at the three spot where when we started with Bev at that spot, because we're even talking about him being a little bit over uh, undersized at the two spot. Now at the three spot, there've been so many times where I'm like, that's never going to work. What we actually need is the exact opposite type of player from him. And I think that in a lot of ways that describes Rui Hachimura and seeing that in action though, I'm so excited about where it can go. I think defensively, there's an, an interesting conversation to have uh, there, but I'll leave it to you, D. I, I, I don't know. He's just really got me intrigued. He has you intrigued because he's an intriguing offensive player. And so Rui is a scorer, and he'll tell you, and Mike, you've talked about this a, a bunch. He'll tell you that he's a scorer, and he'll show you with his game that that he's, he's a scorer. But a lot of his scoring work has been been often reduced to this idea that he's a mid-range gunner, that he's a one pull-up, one dribble pull-up shooter. And he does plenty of that, right? And he'll go in the post and he'll power dribble and then shoot the fade like over his right shoulder, right? And so that's definitely a big part part of his game. But for a guy who's mostly known as an on-ball worker, it's his off-ball work to me that is intrigues me so much more. Yeah. And so you mentioned the the transition running Pete, but he is a good cutter. He's an instinctive cutter. He uses his size and he flashes into the right spots in order to try to receive a pass. And look, that's another element that is reminiscent of Kuz. He is a more robotic and less fluid player than Kuz. And so they do not look the same. He is a more, he has the ability to play with more force than Kuz does. So aesthetically, you're not going to think like, oh, well, He's like Kyle Kuzma because aesthetically mm-hmm. they're they're not the same. But from a like, oh, this is where these guys can score from. And this is about the level of efficiency you're going to get from both of them when they're both playing to about their peak. Like Kuz probably has a little bit more pop in his game, like more range on on his jumper, the ability to sort of play out further and do it a different way. But in the big picture, like, oh, yeah, look at this guy. He's going to run the lane. He's going to score at the basket. He can score on cuts and he can hit an open jumper. He didn't do as much of that against the Nets, but he did plenty of that against the Knicks. And the idea of what he can be defensively, I think, is, again, super important. Like we talked about this earlier with with what he did with, well, with Randall. But when you were talking about Bev earlier, Pete, like they've put Bev on Kawhi Leonard. They put Bev on Kevin Durant. They've put Bev on a butt on Jason Tatum, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Rui's going to have problems against the Jason Tatums and Kawhi Leonard's and Kevin Durant's sure. of the world. Everyone has trouble against those those guys. But I'd rather have a 6'8 dude have trouble with them because he's going to find ways to do other things against them 
that are super important. Yeah, there are going to be times where he has to battle that guy on the boards. It's not in a one-on-one on-ball situation. You got to crack down, crack down and jump with Jason Tatum. Like Bev can have all the heart in the world, but at some point, you know, you run out of you run out of size and ability to to make certain plays. And Mike, there's one other thing about transition that um, I noticed, and I'm wondering if you see it from your vantage point as well. But he had. He is a very good grab-and-go player. So he's another guy who can mm-hmm. turn a rebound into a transition op- opportunity without having to outlet the ball. And he created free throws on one possession against the Knicks because he got a rebound. He started to push. He realized, oh, the two guys in front of me are small. And I'm just going to dribble faster now. And I'm just going to see where that gets me. And then he's even with those guys. And once he got even with them, they were too small and they ended up fouling him. And he got two free throws out of nothing. Everyone else was just jogging like everyone else on the Lakers was just sort of jogging. And Rui's like, oh, I got a chance here to go get me two more points. Let me see how far I can go. And when you talk about sustainability of transition, Pete, that's another aspect of how yes. you can sustain transition action, that it's not going to be just on LeBron, Mike, yep. or just on Russ or just on Dennis to push the ball up the court. They've got one more guy who can do that, and that plays into the team's identity as well. Yeah, I just like how he plays off of two actual superstars, which yeah. I don't think he had a chance to do in, in Washington. And we're just seeing the start of it, but he is a a pretty direct player, and he's not like the he can be a high usage guy in terms of being a scorer. But he he sort of gets the ball, gets to a spot, he looks like he you know he probably either turns and shoots and gets rid of it. Maybe he'll do a spin move and get to the baseline, but he's not he's not a pound pound pound. You know, look at the defense, call for a screen, top of the floor. He's not that type of a player, and I like that player because it, it's he can do that within the flow of guys being ball dominant and still be effective. Mm -hmm. And then he can still do role player things. So the fit so far is probably even a little bit better than I thought. And I was just desperate for, so Darius has been kind of specifically looking for a type of player. I'm like, just give me a guy that could stay on the floor. (laughs) That is big, you know, a a two way player. And and he's one of many that would have fit into that. Mm -hmm. And, but the stuff that he's starting to bring out here and I think his comfortability comfortability is helped some by the teammates that he had in Washington that are here, but it's also just a natural way of playing um, off of a LeBron and off of a, uh, an AD. Mm-hmm. And it also helps specifically with LeBron. LeBron is just so smart and so good at basketball that he's, there aren't that many players that can perfectly hit that hit ahead pass over the top um, to Hachimura st- streaking down the floor. And that can get him that know when to get him the ball against certain types of defenses when the matchup is like that. So you just these are part of the things about LeBron that we take for granted as he passes Mark Jackson, Steve Nash on the assist list. And as he approaches Kareem, that he just kind of can immediately figure out the best way to to got to plug a guy into the unit that he's running. Pete, speaking about what Mike said about quick decisions or just sort of like, I'm just going to go do this thing now. Mm-hmm. Um AD talked a post game the other day about how he's told, told Rui, like, look, like, don't pass unless they double. 
Yeah. And one of the things that I've seen from him is he's actually been a much more willing passer than what I thought, even though it's not passing for assists. So Rui drives a lot and then he gets into his spin move in order to shoot that turnaround jumper off of the dribble. And when he pivots and turns, he's actually feeling and noticing the second defender and he is passing a lot out of that. What have you, I just wanted to ask you from your, from your critical eye, what are you seeing in terms of just that aspect of his game? Because I think that that also fits with, with what Mike is saying as a complimentary player to two stars. No, I see that too. And I, it fits a kind of general overall, maybe I'm projecting here, but he seems to really want to contribute and help like I don't know like his rebounding for example is something that was something that was like he's eh, not the greatest rebounder and I I don't want to act like he is but he's getting down there and competing for these rebounds and just the fact that he's 6'8 and 240 competing for rebounds alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis and that was really our, our defensive rebounding was one of the reasons that game was close and despite these massive lineups we can't get a defensive rebound in large part because we're just leaving the the free throw line uncovered for long rebounds. We're getting killed on long rebounds, right? But Rui in that that opening shift to start the game, especially just the the length and the hands and and just the contesting rebound opportunities gets us out into transition. It just kind of starts the whole chain of what it is that we're good at. And so his passing, I've I've seen a willingness to do it. I've also seen him miss several reads, um, yep. and I think that that's going to be a part of it. Uh, but it's more. I think you're trying to communicate kind of like that willingness to move the ball and like looking to make the right play, even if that's not one of his greater talents. No, totally. And to speak to your rebounding point too, Pete, he had several like tip outs on the offensive yeah, the, glass where it's yeah. just like, oh look, the Lakers aren't shooting the ball well tonight, but at least. Rui saved a couple of possessions that turned into something. Yeah. Right. And every possession, every extra possession is one where you do give the ball again to a LeBron or an AD and you give those guys another opportunity. And so it's super helpful just to have a guy like him. He is not a world saver. We've been saying that from the very beginning, but he doesn't have to be. What he has to be is a guy who can slot in and play a role. And his skill set fits with this group. And it's one of the things that I'm excited for and intrigued by as the team heads into this stretch of games before the All-Star break. Yeah, good to get a win last night and uh, really excited about Rui's contribution. We don't we don't win that game without him. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Talk some more Lakers. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. 
seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.